Let's pray and ask God for his help this morning to want to know him more and to trust that who he is is good. Heavenly Father, would your spirit help us this morning? These are hard words to wrap our minds around. We need you. I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapters 1 through 12 of Isaiah, we have seen Israel as the focus of the book. And Isaiah has been been speaking to them about their sin problem and their coming judgment and about the place that they can look to for hope. They can turn and look to God for their salvation, to the root of Jesse, to a coming child who will be born from the line of David. But Israel's temptation has always been to look elsewhere for solutions. And one of the places that they have been tempted over and over and that they have looked over and over when they are threatened is they have looked to the nations surrounding them. Maybe an alliance with this nation will represent security. So God has told them that their judgment is coming in the previous chapters. And you can see how, the, how their wheels might be turning about, hmm, is there a way that they could avert this? Is there a country that they could make an alliance with to keep this judgment from coming? God knows Israel. And so Isaiah is given a vision about each and every country that Israel might think of that they could try to seek help in, that they could try to seek security in, that could save them perhaps. Would they look to Babylon? Would you look to Assyria? Would you look to Philistia? Would you look to Moab? Would you look to Damascus? Would you look to Cush? Would you look to Egypt? Because Israel, if this is your solution, you've got a problem. Because God says, judgment is not only coming to you, judgment is coming to all of the nations. If you were Israel reading this, then every option of safety besides the Lord is being taken off of your list one by one. Anything that you might look to besides him is removed and revealed for what it really is. They can't outmaneuver God on the chessboard. This section says a lot to the world, but it also says a lot to the people of God. There is one and only one thing that we can trust. Will we trust God? Can I trust him when my circumstances are awful? Can I trust him when my future looks bleak? Oh, the list that I could make in my life of the things that I would trust at times and how futile they are, just like the nations were a futile hope for Israel. The list of things that I would trust in could be shown as futile. Um, we could we could do a quick tour around the life of Rebecca, around the world of Rebecca, and see maybe like your life as well um, the things that I trust in and, and their futility. Would I trust in my intellect? 
that I can problem solve or find a solution to any problem. I have two members in my family right now who have Alzheimer's and dementia or dementia. My intellect is not in my own hands, is not in my own control, and it can be taken in a moment. Would I look to my personality? I, uh, I like that I'm an optimistic, happy person. Um, but recently, I've had two different kind of periods of depression where I just didn't even feel like myself and where I felt like I had very little control to snap out of it. My personality even is not in my control. Would I look to my husband? I have a good husband who has a good job and is a good father. But I've been married long enough to know that he is just a man. And that at any moment he could make a mistake that would change our lives forever. Or that he could die and go to be with the Lord. These are good gifts, good gifts from the Lord, but they're not what I can put my hope and my trust in because all of these things are things that actually have to be supported by the Lord. They're things that he is holding up. So I have to to realize and trust in the one holding up the things in my life and not have a false security in, in the things themselves. Uh, The parable that we should build our house on a rock and not on the sand. Let me stop trusting in sand and instead rest every hope and every ounce of security in the one and only secure thing in the almighty God. Chapter 14, verse 24 says, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. So that's the big picture purpose of this section, to get Israel and us to see that they can't trust in other things, that God really is their only option. God is our only option. So let's look at the details of how that works out in this section. We have five oracles here that show us that God is not just king and Lord of his own people. He is the rightful king and Lord of the entire world and every nation and every person. He alone is the one who rightfully judges and who brings just judgment. Ortland has an interesting quote. He says, if we don't have a just God to trust in, we will have no logical reason not to become violent ourselves. It is Isaiah's vision of God's final justice that moderates our anger and frustration now. Uh, For me, as I've examined this text and struggled with it and found it very hard in parts, um, I've realized that part of the reason that I find God's judgment so hard is because of God's kindness in all of the ways he's protected me. When I stop and think of some of the evils in the world. Let's take just one, um, the sexual abuse of children. When I stop and think of that, 
then my distaste for judgment decreases. So for me, where I have to lean into as I consider this passage is that God has both the right to judge and the total knowledge and complete picture with which to judge fairly. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God warns man over and over. Assuredly, the evil man will not go unpunished. Psalm 7, 15 to 16, I think this one is a telling one. He has, man, he has dug a pit and hollowed it out, and he has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head, and his violence will descend upon his own plate. James 4.12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. Last verse, 2 Peter 3, 9 and 15. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. For some reason, as I was considering the judgment of God, I kept thinking of Goldilocks and the three bears. And um, Goldilocks goes into the house, into the three bears' house, and um, she comes to the three bowls of porridge. And the first one was too hot, and the second one was too cold, but the third one was just right. And then she comes to the chairs, and one is too big, and then the second one's too big still, but the third one was just right. And then she comes to the beds. One is too hard, one is too soft, but the third one is just right. God is patient and slow to anger, but God does anger. And in verse 9, it is even called fierce anger. He does not do so too quickly. He does not do so too slowly, but just right. The Hebrew word for oracle in these passages is massa, which can also be translated as burden. So this could read the oracle concerning Babylon or the burden concerning Babylon. God takes upon himself the duty or the burden of making all things right. And he would do this through judgments that would come during their lifetime and also finally on the day of the Lord. Chapter 13 has many judgments foretold that are still yet to come and will happen on the last day of human history where every human heart will melt and man will wail and be in anguish. And Second Peter 3, which we read as part of the lesson, reminds us that even though this day will feel to us like it will never come, it will come. It is coming, and we should trust the words of the prophets and the Lord and the apostles and live in light of that day. We see many pictures of mercy intermingled in these proclamations of judgment. And uh, one of my favorites was within the oracle to Moab. Moab, Moab, I 
came out funny. Uh, we see God commanding his people to be a refuge to any of the people that would come to them for shelter. And then we have this beautiful reminder of the Davidic line. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. I think this is like one of those like amazing prophecies that's really encouraging that we see God work this out through the story of Ruth and um, who was a Moabite, who her mother-in-law sought shelter with the people of God and ended up marrying Boaz and then ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. So we have here this prophecy of a connection between the Moabites and the Davidic line over 700 years before it happens. And that's kind of a distinct, unique, you wouldn't expect to see the Davidic line come through Moab as well. Um, I'd like to read chapter 17, verses 12 through 14. It says, Ah, the thunder of many peoples. They thunder like the thundering of seas. This could be my mothering this week. (laughs) Ah, the roar of the nations. They roar like the roaring of mighty waters. The nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away. Chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind and whirling dust before the storm. At evening time, behold terror. Before morning, they are no more. This is the portion of those who loot us and the lot of those who plunder us. God wants his people to know that he sees them and he wants them to know that he is for them and that he will bring them justice. I would say that most Americans have heard of the judgment of God in some form. um, And um, there are those who have heard it and responded by learning more, responded by drawing close, by searching out about him, and then by accepting his way of salvation and accepting his son and being completely then removed from that judgment. And then there are those who have heard of his judgment and disregard it and who take the path of Babylon instead establishing their own I wills in the world. This chapter 13, verse 13 through 14 said, you said in your heart, so they're not saying it with their mouths, but their lives, their beliefs, Proclaim, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will make myself like the Most High. If one trusts in I and what I will do, they will find that the most important I in the world, God, has a response to them. He says in chapter 13, verse 22, I, God, will rise up against them. But the day of the Lord is not yet here, and there is still time for any who would seek salvation and would want God to not only not be against them, but to instead be their champion and to promise to bring about justice for any evil done against them. I, um, I want to end real quick with um, considering the stoning of Stephen. I had a friend recently point out a part of that story that I had never considered before. And I think it applies to the heart of God for justice. Stephen was a deacon in the early church and was accused of blasphemy 
by the Jewish authorities and then went on to beautifully witness to the prosecutors. And right before he was stoned as the very first martyr, this is what Acts 7 verses 54 to 57 says. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. So Stephen, when he looked up into heaven and was about to be martyred, saw Jesus. But Jesus was not sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. This is the only place in the Bible where Jesus is described as standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is not in heaven unmoved by what happens to his people. This is the Jesus I should love more. This is the Jesus I should trust more. This is the Jesus who is my solid rock. Who is not like the sand or false securities that I would be tempted to look to for safety. May we each today remember the God of our salvation and remember the rock of our refuge. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't always understand your ways, and you are so gracious to give us room to wrestle and room to doubt. I am thankful that I don't have to have your judgment figured out to be accepted by you. A friend said, "Um, I like the idea of a God who is tame, but you are not tame. You are the almighty Lord of hosts, maker of heavens and earth, rightful ruler of all. We come and join our tribute, our worship, to that of your people around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.